Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This isn't the case of somebody who is depressed or has suicidal ideations going to a doctor and saying, I want MAID. Those people should, must and should reach out for help because those kinds of conditions are eminently treatable. Federal Justice Minister David Lametti on uh, MAID and on mental health being uh, the determinant for MAID, medical assistance in dying, and uh, legislation is going to be brought forward to delay mental health as the determinant until next year anyway. All right, we've talked a lot about uh, medical assistance in dying, including yesterday with um, the uh, former lawyer for Sue Rodriguez and uh, Mr. Considine, Chris Considine, joining us from Vancouver, or uh, Victoria. My friend Jeff Pakin, who's a Hamilton, Ontario businessman, wrote an op-ed which appeared, I saw it initially in the Hamilton Spectator. And the headline is, Medical Assistance in Dying Needs Some Serious Fixing. And it, um, the issue is very personal to Jeff and it's his story. And Jeff, I, uh, I appreciate so much uh, you writing the op-ed and uh, in, in, in memory of your wife, Andrea, and what you decided and the most difficult of circumstances, you and your, your, your family, Made the decision, and then you ran up against the bureaucracy. Uh, how are you? How are you doing? Well, uh, nice to talk to you, Roy. It's, it's uh, been just over a year, and you know, life has renormalized. It will never be what it was. It will never have the joy of her in it. But it's you know, it's renormalized, and my three daughters in their mid twenties are all doing their thing and doing well, and we continue to openly talk about how much we miss their mom and um, we're, but we're all doing fine you know it's it was not a big shock the eventuality was known um, many years in advance and uh, it just uh, you know it's never the right day but <laughs> the day comes so what are you going to do yeah I had the uh, the honor of uh, of meeting your wife been meeting you both together she was a remarkable remarkable lady and the two of you were just um, just great together, and it is uh, it's it's one of the most difficult things, isn't it, uh, addressing medical assistance and dying with the person you love? How did how did you uh, how did you deal with that? Well, uh, you know, Andrea had spent her life uh, in the healthcare field. She spent a number of years working in intensive care, so you know the subject of death and dying was in front of her on a you know, semi-regular basis professionally. And she was very much a witness to what it does to the patient, what it does to the patient's family. And, you know, I'll I'll call it the waiting game when the end is 100% inevitable. You just don't know if it's today, tomorrow, the next day. 
and she had decided quite clearly, um, you know, more than a year before that fateful moment would have been upon us, that her wish was to not only be able to have the decision of the dignity of when, but also the decision of saving her parents, her sister and her family, and our family, her children, and her significant pool of friends, um, the, the waiting game for nothing. And, you know, there was, there was a very clear path in her mind as to when the right time would be. And she very appropriately put it in writing uh, with the right people doing the writing in the room and signing and witnessing. And that was her wish was to, to be able to make that call on her own. And, you know, I understand that there are ways in which that call are, you know, it's allowed to be made. And in the case of, you know, her particular situation, uh, that day was never upon us. So uh, it's just not, you know, I, I was, I got a lot of feedback from this article. And one of the most intelligent pieces of feedback I got came from a friend who's a lawyer who said, we don't do this with people when they write their will. We trust that when they write their will, they're doing it, well, we know they're doing it when they're of sound mind and body, or compus mentis, as the, the Latin phrase goes. And if we take that same approach for people with made, there's no reason to revisit or be too late to revisit um, that moment when you're ready to go. And if you're not compass mentis on that day, uh, then you're not allowed to be ready to go. And that just doesn't add up. So a lot of talk, I apologize, but it's, uh, it's a very um, unselfish thing that she was a- attempting to do. And it's a very unselfish thing that we're attempting to do, which is to bring light to this problem and try and not, have other people who are brave enough to choose this um, to have to deal with what we had to deal with. You know, I'm so glad that you put it in uh, in that terminology, and um, because I, I found and and you know, my wife died in 2015, and um, she also had a very virulent uh, virulent assault of cancer, and um, we had we had talked about uh, maid. For her, we were living in Quebec, and the National Assembly there had passed medical assistance and dying legislation in 2014, but it hadn't become law um, by the time she passed away. It wasn't enacted, but we talked about it, and and as she was explaining why she was thinking in those terms, Jeff, I, I heard much of the same that you were telling me that you heard from Andrea. There's a there's a generosity of spirit among. Th- those who are, who, are, who are dying, and that generosity of spirit extends to their families and to their friends and to everyone they care about and for whom they want to minimize as much as possible the pain of the moment of their leaving. You know, that's, that's um, you, you want to be there yeah. at that moment. And... You know, you want, if you, as in Andrea's case, you have two living healthy parents, you want them to be able to choose to be there. And you don't want them 
to be traveling to the hospital and sitting in the room for 12 hours a day, which was impossible during COVID anyway because of limited visitors. Um, but, you know, to, to just wait and wait and wait and wait and watch a, a body in a coma and wait yeah. just doesn't add up. You know, it, and the other thing that, that Andrea, as a healthcare professional, was quite adamant about was she unselfishly didn't want to be in a bed, not getting better for sure, uh, in place of someone who could be using that bed and potentially getting better for sure. Yeah. Let, you know, there's, there's a whole argument um, towards that side of of the decision also for the benefit of those who just can't get a hospital bed these days. So, Jeff, uh, please share with us, share with our listeners what happened. So, you know, the, the, the decision is, is put on paper at the appropriate time uh, when everybody is mentally competent and proven to be. And the way the system is working is you have to redeclare your decision on a day when you're determined to be still mentally competent. And, you know, that's a slippery slope, and I don't want to get into that in terms of who declares that. I get it. Um, by the time, you know, first of all, if you have good days left in you, there's no reason why you should leave any of those behind. And so if you're deciding the day that it's time to go, that it's time to go, um, because that's the only way you can have that decision supported, then something's wrong with the system because you shouldn't have to leave a good day behind if there's still some in front of you. Uh, there have been some adjustments to the law specific to a case in Nova Scotia on this particular issue. But in my wife's case, uh, you know, she came back to the hospital uh, in a comatose state and, and sort of was in and out for a day or two and therefore was never able to be supported that she's reconfirming her decision. And yet her paperwork was extremely clear uh, as to what conditions she wanted uh, to be existing and then she was ready for that eventuality. And so I think the the disconnect is how do we get people's wishes to be enacted uh, once their good days as they define them are no longer with them? And it's I, I don't pretend it's an easy subject by any stretch, and it's not for everybody. But if it's for anybody, let's do it in a way that's meaningful and doable. So, so when the time came and, and you knew what uh, Andrea's wishes were and it had been spelled out and and documented and witnessed, as you as you told us. So the the time the time comes and uh, and and you're expecting that that uh, medical assistance in dying is going to take place, um, and 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 uh, granting her wishes and expectations and and yours, in support of your wife. What happened? So the palliative care doctor, who was terrific, uh, I you know the the. Second thing I did after introducing myself is show him her documentation, and he looked at it and said, I hate to tell you this, but A, there's nothing we can do about this with her coming to us in this condition, 
and B, it, by the time you apply and get it approved through the various channels, uh, it's going to be too late anyway. And, you know, he was uh, very uh, apologetic. He was very straightforward in his, you know, communications, and we really appreciated it. But the laws as they are didn't allow for her paperwork to be enacted. And, you know, there's a process, and I don't pretend to know it perfectly, but, you know, there's a, a, a group or a board that looks at each of the hospitals that have applications, and they deal with them. And I am not flippant at all about the need for there to be some process through this, um, but there needs to be a way that the wishes of the patient uh, are looked at in a stronger fashion than they are today. It's just not right. And, you know, Andrea was so clear about the the very specific condition. She's, you know, if we, when you have what she had, um, from a health perspective, you know eventually the day is coming. And she made it very, very clear um, what condition she was to be in when it was time to go. And it's very unfortunate that she didn't get her wish. And she was probably eight more days of basically no communication and no real living as she defined it. And that's what she was trying to avoid. You know, you would think um, that one of the first things when you're drafting this kind of legislation, and it took a long time for us to get to 2016 and medical assistance in dying becoming fact, we go back to 1993 in Sue Rodriguez's case and the Supreme Court deciding five to four that she didn't have the right to a physician-assisted death. So we, we 30 years later, um, we, so 2023, we're still facing these, these hurdles that should have been, should have been logistically and logically dealt with. Someone should have thought of, and I'm, I can't imagine it was not talked about. I can't imagine it wasn't debated. I can't imagine there wasn't some opinion or some consensus that there are circumstances under which a person is not going to be um, uh, awake, alert, and 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 their wishes have to be carried out because they've been spelled out when they were awake and they were alert. I know I'm just repeating what you're feeling, Jeff, but it just it just it just needs to be addressed. You're right; it needs to be fixed. It's one thing when I say it; when you say it, it gets me more frustrated. <laughs> like, of course, these people's wishes should be followed because these are not easy decisions. These are, you know, I'm not going to talk about things I don't know anything about, mental illness and that sort of thing. I do know about terminal physical illness, and I know about it for all the wrong reasons. And I, I know that that it, it's just without a shadow of a doubt that it's pretty easy to know that that day is coming when a certain series of criteria are met. And common sense would dictate that she's not the only person who, you know, has a terminal illness in Canada. And so these rules need to be much more in line with the needs of the patient and the patient's families uh, in order to make them make sense. And, you know, again, hearing you say it out loud just makes me scratch my head even more. Uh, 30 years later, uh, you know... 
hats off to those who got it to where it is, but let's get it to where it can really have proper meaning for those who want to use it. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.